Uh, hey everyone, it's Nasco, and you're listening to the next episode of Fox Tales, the music industry podcast run by Starfox. Um, we've covered the topic of uh, different benefits of self-releasing or doing it via label, but whether you're going solo or you have a team, uh, there are a number of things you need to have handy and take into consideration before, during and after your release. Today I'm super excited to welcome Marta Cleary, a campaign manager at the renowned UK label True Thoughts. If you've been following the Sarah Fox blog, you know that we featured a great deal of releases from True Thoughts and we've seen awesome album rollouts, mesmerizing stories and needless to say gorgeous music. Um, they're working with artists like Alice Rousseau, Moonchild, Hot 8 Brass Band, Quantique, Anushka, Fika, Hemai, even with Bonobo 20 years ago for his Animal Magic album, and many, many, many other names. Uh, she was so nice to drop for a chat uh, uh, to share some tips and tricks that will help every artist hire their chances of success when releasing music. So, hey, Marta, welcome aboard. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast today. Oh, it's a real pleasure. I'm very excited to, uh, to hear what you have to share. Uh, so just to break the ice a bit, I uh, wanted to ask, what did you want to become when you were a kid? I, so when I was a kid, for a little while, I used to think I wanted to become a detective <laughs> cool. um, in, a, in a kind of like, you know, <laughs> the ones you see on TV sort of way. Um, but then I decided that would be too dangerous. So I wanted to be a journalist instead. Um, and then I've kind of, yeah, found my way working in um well, working for True Thoughts, working in PR and promotions. And yeah, so it's not a million miles away from what I wanted to do when I was younger. <laughs> it is kind of like looking for <laughs> music. So exactly. How did you end up at True Thoughts? So I, from when I was about, I've always loved music, always. And um, when I was about 15, I started working at HMV, which is um, a chain of record shops in the UK. Um, and then after that, I did, you know, I volunteered for festivals, I wrote for blogs, I did radio shows. Um, I just was trying to, you know, I did work experience at NME, I kind of did the occasional work experience day at Six Music at the BBC. Um, I was just trying to get any opportunity I could to work in music. And at the same time, I was studying, I did a politics, philosophy and economics degree. And I ended up working for a year in like in corporate PR and political lobbying, which okay. um, and then I did that for a year and it was horrible and I didn't enjoy it at all. So <laughs> I, I left that and then was lucky enough that a job doing press and radio promotions was came up at True Thoughts. And um, yeah, it was it was sort of perfect. It combined everything that I'd done professionally with what I'd been working towards and um yeah I've been there ever since that was four and a half years ago awesome like actually actually around the same time I started Sarah Fox as well so it's great was, something was in the air it was a yeah, good time yeah. to start it good is, jobs. yeah <laughs> um so the awesome names that we've already mentioned that you're working with uh, can you share uh, like an awesome or a peculiar story uh, from working with uh, some of these acts I, 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 I'm very lucky in that I get to work with some brilliant artists at True Thoughts. I am very fond of all of the acts I work with. Um, I definitely, before the pandemic, um, I had a week where I had two Moonchild shows, one in London, one in Brighton, and two Hot 8 Brass Band shows, one in London, one in Brighton. So in the space of seven days, I went to four True Thoughts gigs wow. um, and it was it was great and then on the final on the Saturday which was the last gig of the week with Hot 8 in Brighton um, I took half of them out with me and my friends um, awesome. which considering they just sold out Brighton Dome and they're you know they're quite a recognizable band um, so we were just out and people just kept coming up to them having been at the gig and um, buying them drinks and you know and it was it was nice it was nice to because they just done a really long tour um, but also just seeing how much people love them but it, it at, on a Saturday night in the pubs that I normally go to um, 
yeah that was that was probably one of my favorite like just now we're getting back into the swing of things and gigs and stuff so I'm sure I'll have more stories more stories soon but um I'm definitely yeah, excited to hear these. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing to you know to see actually artists. Uh, art, artists are actually people, and mm. I, I also feel lucky that to be able to work with artists that I also admire. I would love to see live or like uh, play at a at a gig, a DJ or whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, so to get to the chase, uh, maybe uh, let's talk about what you need to prepare when you've got your music and artwork ready. Um, what do you do? Yeah, so we, so myself and my colleague Reese at True Thoughts are campaign managers. So we kind of oversee the projects that the artists come to us with um, once it's been through Rob, our A&R and Paul, the other co-founder of True Thoughts. Um, once you have your music and artwork, my number one thing to do is make a timeline. So think ahead to... If you're working an album campaign, the ideal release of the album date and then work backwards, adding in single release dates. Um, then once you have those, you know, a timeline starts off small. It starts off just with those dates and then you start adding in announcement dates or, you know, dates to put teasers on social media or um, in the UK, we have UK radio impact dates, so dates when tracks can then get playlisted on, um, you know, on BBC stations. So we add those in. Um, like the, we submit to digital streaming platforms five weeks ahead of release, so we add those in. So basically, you start with these, like let's say three dates, so an album release and two singles beforehand, and then suddenly you start putting it all together. And you end up with a very long timeline, a very detailed timeline that that is taking up six to eight months of your life. <laughs> but um, it's time consuming, ironically, but um, but it makes all the difference. That key timeline is the perfect first step. Um, that sounds awesome. Can we can we try to go over of like a, a timeline? Uh, just an example timeline uh, to average what needs to happen when, because I, I feel a lot of artists uh, just don't know that. And mm -hmm. this would definitely help them get uh, better playlisting, get better coverage. And yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's changed a lot, even in my time at True Thoughts. Um, you know, it used to be that you wanted to get tracks to radio before release and to press well in advance. Um Whereas now, like as DSPs, as digital streaming platforms um, have, you know, become more and more important, both to artists and to the industry in general, you, you're kind of, you want to make sure that it's out before your promo, before people are playing it and before people are writing it. Um, so with that in mind, um, the first, so for an album, Ideally, and I know this isn't always possible, and I know artists always get annoyed when I say that, not always, <laughs> but sometimes, get annoyed when I say that it has to be this far in advance. But for an album, ideally, you want to look at 12 weeks, let's say. Um, and then from that 12-week mark, spacing the singles four to six weeks apart, maybe getting closer together as we get closer to the album release. Um, this then should give them time to be considered for radio playlisting. And it also gives you time to work a track before just moving on to the next one. I think sometimes um, from speaking to people who self-release, it, it's, it's like if they feel a track hasn't done as well, they just want to immediately move on and get on to the next release and see if that one will do better. But sometimes, you know, things grow on people. Sometimes it's just... Um, you just, you know, a, a big DJ or a big blog could pick up on something when it has been out for a, a few weeks, a few days, and it can take off. Um, so, yeah, about 12 weeks in advance for an album, four to six weeks in between every single. And then before that, we try and do, we try and get it to streaming platforms five, three to five weeks in advance of the release. Um, the three weeks is kind of what we aim to be like the minimum because it just gives um 
it it just gives editors the the best possible opportunity to consider your music and and hopefully get it into playlists um and then in the mix of all of that as well you've got um getting it to radio in case you want people to have exclusive upfront plays or submitting it to blogs on submit hub or locking in premieres if that's part of what you're what you want to do um but that's the kind of like standard um week by week breakdown i suppose and then everything else goes in that so we pre we announce tracks we announce releases um for singles maybe a week in advance um with a pre-save link um and then from then you know we aim to get a few key plays maybe so we've got some quotes for the press release for release day um but yeah but i should also say as well that every release is different and um yeah you know every campaign takes on a life of its own <laughs> to some degree yeah i wanted to actually touch base on a couple of things you mentioned first of all the premieres um mm. do they work nowadays like how important are they because i've i've actually seen different uh, opinions on this um again it's something that's changed even in the time i've been working at true thoughts when i started there um getting a premiere for a track was such a key part of um of a of a campaign and it was so important to the artist i think now a lot of blogs don't tend to do them anymore um i think they started to feel as though it was a tick boxing exercise for labels um and i think it's also you're at risk if it if something premieres too early then you're you're kind of at risk of taking away the exclusivity from streaming platforms um and it's we don't like we don't know what goes on yeah. behind the scenes at spotify um but i've heard rumors that if they don't get it first um you know they prefer to have it first basically yeah. so that's kind of like we still we still do premieres um you know there are still some really brilliant blogs out there that prefer to do premieres which is great because um if the music's the right home for them or they're the right home for the music rather um then it's absolutely worth doing the premiere. But I think what I will say is that more so than it was three or four years ago, it's not a, it's not a necessary part of a of a campaign timeline anymore. Yeah. Saying all of that, if you've got video, um, that's maybe the one time when trying to find that a good home is worthwhile. Yeah, I wanted to share from our blog perspective, mm -hmm. we're getting uh, premiere requests and very often they're uh, for the same day, actually. They're not even from the day before. Uh, so you sometimes do, uh, actually, they try, you, they try you to be the first blog uh, to do it. Obviously, it depends on, on uh, like time zones and everything if the release is in the US and we are in Europe. Obviously, this, uh, this can be the first blog, uh, potentially. But yeah, uh, a lot of people do not do uh, premieres a lot early, maybe the day before at uh, the best. Mm. But yeah, uh, this is also I see it has changed even uh, for the time when I was uh, when I started Starfox. Uh, so it's very interesting. Uh, yeah, video is a big thing at the moment. So um, would you say this is crucial um, to kind of have something prepared on the visual side, especially when doing an album? Um, I think it's. Um I think it's it, it can never hurt. I know that artists are obviously, budgets are always have to be considered and where you decide it's best place to put, put budgets um, is an important decision to make. Um, I think with, with videos, it's, you're providing a bigger picture to the story of a campaign. And, um, and I think the stories with campaigns, are, you know, it's, it's part of the fun of promoting something. I, I imagine it's part of the the enjoyment of writing about something as well from your perspective. Yeah. And then from, from the audience's perspective as well, it's like, you know, that's what they're kind of buying into. And I think sometimes like music videos or lyric videos or animations, um, they add that extra context um, 
in a really nice way. We've had some great ones recently from a fairly new act, Aurora Deranes, whose um, debut album's coming out in November. They did a great video for their single, Crazy That You Love, um, which was just, a you know, it was a pleasure to promote. The same as um, Melonics did one for their song, Melanin Queens, which was all of the black women in their lives, like celebrating that. Um, and that, again, it was just, it was a joy to send that out to people. Um, what I will say as well from a promotional side, so as a, as a PR, um, having videos to remind people of the music is really handy. <laughs> you know, it's another excuse to push it, to send people the tracks without just bombarding their inbox with the same thing. So would you say it's better to have the video after the track is out, like some time after it, or should they be out at the same time? I think it depends how much else you've got lined up um, for, a, for a campaign. So if, you are, if you're an artist who's got, you know, multiple live versions, videos, tour dates, interviews, like um, maybe you do your own podcast and there are episodes of that coming out or mixes for the radio, you know, it's, if you've got a lot of things happening, um, then releasing the video uh, on the same day as the single can can bolster the um, the release day press and support that you get for that track. Um, personally, I think it's unless you have all of that going on, it's sometimes better to just focus on the music on release day and then come in later with the video. To kind of remind then, people. Yeah, exactly. And um, and also it means that you're letting, first and foremost, you're letting the music do the talking. Um, obviously, if the release is some sort of audio, visual, you have to experience the video to properly get the music, that's that's totally different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think for the most part, let you know, it's the same the same said for like alternative versions of tracks and stuff like that. It's like by all means, further down the line or remixes, these are great promotional tools to to show um, artist versatility. But they, you, first and foremost, you, you want the original music to, to be leading the way. Um, yeah, makes yeah. sense, actually. Um, okay, so um, the question for $1 million, uh, some <laughs> might ask, uh, should you release singles, EP, or an album? So what's the situation nowadays? Uh, when should you do one and the other, in your opinion? Um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of an album campaign. Um, f f to, start, to start with the album and then I'll work my way through. Um, I, I think it, what I was saying before about stories and um, you know everything coming together, that's a lot, um, there's more to invest in with an album campaign. And I've definitely seen with, with both press and radio, you've got a longer lead time, you know, you can drop those singles at a steady rate, you can see the support start coming in. And, um, and you know, your timeline might change, your timeline might shift if you're getting more support than you expected. But it just means that you're offering people this full picture, this full story. Um, and that that's then that's the thing that the interviews become about that's the thing that the reviews come become about um and and it just gives people that way in uh last year we released Sly Fifth Ave's kind of first produced solo album um and that was uh filled with collaborations with artists that he'd lived with in New York when he lived at a place in Brooklyn called Club Casa where he lived with Freddie Gibbs and Scene and Denisha and you know and it was the whole tale of how they'd ended up there in their little utopia their Camelot um and and we're still working together years later like that on top of Sly's story of playing with Prince and Taylor Swift and everyone was just to be able to to promote the music with that backstory um you know that's that was the joy of it being an album campaign I think with EPs so there's a weird thing with EPs and singles on streaming platforms where um, if it depends on the amount of tracks you have 
original tracks depends on whether it's listed as an album or an EP. So if you have more than three original tracks, but I think less than eight, I'm not sure yeah. on that one. I think um, it's eight, yeah. I think it's eight. Um, then it counts as an EP. If you have three singles, but they're different tracks on one release, then it's a three-track single. Um, so I think with EPs, it's like if you have four tracks and they fit together and there's, again, there's a little story there um, and maybe you're tidying yourself over until you've got the album ready or these four tracks don't fit with the album, um, then it makes sense. We're, you mentioned um, Fika at the start of the podcast. Yeah. Um, who are a brilliant new act we're working with. I really, really enjoy working with them. And their upcoming EP is um, them working with a vocalist called Bambi, and they recorded it all across two days. So it's very much like the five tracks from that little session, as it were. And it makes sense for that to be an EP because there's no more songs, you know, there's that's, yeah. that's <laughs> the product. Um, and then... Singles, you know, if there's Michael Kiwanuka, I heard yesterday released a single that he's done for a soundtrack or something. And, um, you know, even on the radio, they were saying like, oh, it's to tide us over until the album comes. And I think sometimes if you're an act and you feel like you've you want to remind people that you're there um, and the singles great, like it doesn't need a story. It doesn't need. A video, you know, it's it's just standalone, a really really good track. Then I think in that case, then one-off singles um, make sense. But for me, it does all. I keep saying it. I know I sound like a broken record, um, pun not intended. But um, <laughs> for me, it definitely all comes back to the idea of the story, because whether it's press, radio, streaming platforms, the audience. That's, that's what everyone wants, you know, it's why Apple Music do their track by track on albums or Spotify have those random facts about songs that come up. Um, yeah, that's what, that's what people uh, are getting invested in, as well as the music itself. So, yeah, regardless of uh, format, I think as long as there's a story there is the important thing. Yeah, I, I also think it's uh, getting more and more important uh, nowadays that they're like, more than 50,000 tracks per day uploaded on Spotify. So to stand out in a way, mm -hmm. even before the uh, editor's eyes, uh, you have to show something. I, I, I'm pretty sure you have the same uh, kind of stories, but I do remember the first release I ever managed. It was like uh, almost two years ago with Houndtrack. He, he had this beautiful, beautiful story about his childhood and, a tr and a, just a single that, that was just so beautiful. You know, everything was coming great together and it got, it got into an editorial, like I, even three editors, I think. It, I mean, mm -hmm. it did very well. And I mean, you can tell the artists, some artists are uh, like, they have a lot uh, behind their music, not just the music, but they really want to speak to people. Just, this is just their means of communication. And I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as you say, it's even for the editors on Sp at Spotify, they're, they're looking for that as well because that's that's what people are connecting with. Um, yeah, which is, which is nice as well. It's nice to see that people still want that in a day and age where, as you say, like 50,000 songs a day are being uploaded to Spotify. Yeah. Uh, just one thing I wanted to ask. Uh, you've seen this um, means of uploading singles, which are like waterfalling uh, mm -hmm. or like piling them up. So just to explain to our listeners, this means uh, that when you upload a new single, you just put the first single below that. So it, it kind of has a, uh, a spillover effect on the streams or, or it is part of the story. What do you think of this means of uh, um, doing singles? Uh, first and foremost, as a listener, I love it. <laughs> I, I love that I can listen to the new single from an act and then get the last two singles as well because it's almost like there are a few albums at the moment that I'm eagerly awaiting coming out um, and I just keep listening to the latest single with all the waterfall tracks underneath because um, it's like it's as good as you can get without the album. Um, from, a, from a label side of things, from a promotional side of things, I think... That's that's exactly why it works. If you if you've released three singles before an album, and the first one did okay, but 
didn't get the success you really wanted. Um, but then that single's included on the Spotify single of the next single or, you know, Apple Music or whatever your preferred streaming platform. Um, then that gives people another chance to hear it. So they might not have connected with the first one, but they've connected with the second one and heard the first one as a result. Um, sadly, in the kind of attention economy that we live in now, um, relying on people to, even when an album comes out, to listen to the whole thing, it's, it's tricky. So I think giving people as many opportunities as possible to listen to these tracks is, is really key. Um, saying that occasionally we'll... So we've started doing Waterfalling more and more, um, but for some tracks, if it's particularly remixes um, where we want to include the instrumentals or alternative versions because we think that, that, that that's the appeal and that that will get... That, that's what, you know, that will engage people in that way. Um, yeah, we often do them as like standalone singles. So to follow up an album campaign, we might do the original track, a remix of that track, an instrumental of the track and an instrumental of the remix. And then that in itself is a, is a, is a new package. Um, but definitely in the lead up to a release like an album or an EP, Waterfalling, um, I am, I'm in favour of it. <laughs> Both as, as I say, as a listener and, um, and from a promotional side. But I think partly that's because I'm lazy and if my music <laughs> is all in one place, then yeah. <laughs> that's a lot easier. Uh, I think uh, the one case where you shouldn't do it, I guess, is if they're if you just pile up um, mm. uh, standalone singles that don't have any connection, or yeah. I would imagine if if the album has very different sides, it wouldn't make sense to to mm. I don't know waterfall uh, a beat song with a ballad or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it obviously depends on the genre and the music. Yeah, no, I've noticed, I've, and I've noticed people almost making conscious decisions with that sort of thing um, recently, or they keep it to three tracks maximum, whereas other Waterford singles I've seen have four or five tracks on them. Um, you know, I remember with like Thundercats album campaign, yeah. he did exactly that. Yeah, there were like, I remember that was the first one where I really noticed yeah. the songs being Waterford. Exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> I guess it was because it was also like right at the start of the pandemic, so none of us had anything to do but just sit and watch Spotify. <laughs> I think I think it was exactly this because it was, I think one of the first times I actually I actually saw this, or maybe mm. as you said consciously, uh, but yeah. he was doing it in a really cool way, and also also like the version he uploaded for Black Walls, I think. Uh, yeah. It was not the same as in the, in the album. So, mm. I mean, you have different opportunities to remind people of your old music or like the yeah. previous singles. Yeah, definitely. And I've seen, um, there's a Brooklyn band that I've seen do a similar thing where their album's coming out in a few weeks and they've been almost picking and choosing what songs Waterfall where. I think, I assume based on what goes together best. Um, it can definitely get messy though. When you start, yeah. <laughs> unless you've got like your clear vision of this belongs with this. Um, but yeah, but I, it's, we've seen it just, it's, it's, it sounds really sad, but there's nothing worse sometimes than when you release, when an artist releases something and you really, really want it to get the attention it deserves and it just, it just doesn't for whatever reason. And um, yeah, as I say, if it's an opportunity to give that another, another push in one way or another it is then, yeah um, it's uh, we actually thing. yeah we actually did uh an electronic album uh with mm. um with a u.s act mozambique uh okay. and he did a he did a pretty great uh ep with uh, five tracks and then we got them remixed uh from six artists uh and we did a we, we released a deluxe album uh basically it was already an album and, and like all of the tracks got pretty great attention and the remixes were a great opportunity to actually bring a lot of artists together. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I did see, we didn't actually waterfall them the way we did and we just released two singles. Uh, but now that I think about it, maybe it would have been uh, better or, but I did see that there was a great spillover effect on the, on the album because there were a lot of, a lot like six new artists on top of the main one. 
So yeah, it's remixing is a great way to remind people of your music. Um, do you Absolutely. actively look for remixers or um, is it something that you do on a regular basis or it depends on the project? Um, I think in part it depends on the project. It's a little bit like videos where it also depends on budget. Um, but there are some artists that absolutely want remixes and um, it becomes a big part of their campaign. And there are some artists that that don't want that and don't almost like that idea, which is fair enough as well. But um, our argument definitely always is that, you know, a remix, um, even if it's completely different, especially if it's completely different from the original track, um, as you say, it's like it's a collaboration with another artist and it's getting into the hands of more people. Um, you know, it's yeah, it's being seen by more people. We released, I think, three years ago now, Bryony Jarman Pinto's debut album, which is a fantastic like UK soul album. And then we got Dago to do two remixes of one of the tracks. So like a, a Dago remix and a 2000 Black remix, um, kind of broken beat style. And that just took this soul album into a, you know, dance floor, underground, broken beat world, um, where now people know the name Bryony Jarman Pinto, who wouldn't have before. And um, I think that's a perfect example of, of what remixes can do. Um, I particularly like it as well when, you know, I'm biased, so I would say this, yeah. but I like it as well on the label where, like, Wheel Up for True Thoughts, Wheel Up will remix Tiawa or Slife of Thav will remix Hemai. And and it's it's nice because then you also get that, that crossover in genre, but within the within the true thoughts world um, yeah, <laughs> and I've it seen, sounds good <laughs> yeah I've seen you guys doing it a lot and uh, I honestly think it's it's very it's very useful for, for different uh, like for different artists to uh, kind of start working together or like try different uh, view of their music like different mm -hmm. approach towards the music I mean it's it's great obviously it can backfire it can be like something that the original audience cannot accept mm -hmm. for some reason or don't like but yeah, I also generally think it's a great idea if you find the right person to uh, definitely to remix it. Um, all right. Um, so I wanted to ask you, what should your goals be uh, in terms of uh, success? Like, where do you want to go when you? Because uh, you've you've already got your uh, music out. So what are you aiming for? I mean, obviously this can this need to happen a bit before the release itself. But should you aim like for playlisting, press, radio? sync or and uh, i wanted to also specifically talk about the uh, mania for playlisting nowadays because i feel this is the only thing people are uh focusing on but there's so much mm -hmm. going on around around that yeah i mean i guess to start with playlisting i, I guess the short answer is that in an ideal world you'll be aiming for all of those things <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can never hope for too little um but to start with playlists, I think while important and while they can make a difference, um, it's also important to remember that in some cases, these the streams that come from it won't be, lead to fans. You know, that they'll, the amount of passive listeners with playlists... Um, mean that you know someone could be listening to your track like 10 times a day on their favorite playlist but not registering who the artist is or even what the track is um which obviously is no bad thing because you're still getting streams you're still getting paid you're still getting exposure and and it's a good it's a good thing for an artist to um to be included in but i think that's important to remember when when you're really really focusing on playlists um, I think with press and radio, you know, I always have, I always joke that I've got little like tick boxes in the back of my mind. I want radio plays from every station and I want reviews and interviews in every blog and newspaper. Um, and it, it becomes like f f part of the reason I love my job is because it's, it's the artist's music and it's their projects and I'm honored that they trust me to promote it. But, um, but I definitely get 
invested in it so that it feels like my success their success becomes my success as well and it's it's nice but um you know anything it's it's a funny one because in this in this day and age you know a, a cover story for a magazine or a radio play that just takes off or a tiktok video that goes viral could could make a um a campaign um but at the same time if you're if you're not building up you i guess an artist would have to ask themselves like do they do they want those tick box successes or do they want to build up a proper fan base from the ground up um because that is at the end of the day it's going to last you a lot longer than the high of getting a bbc radio one play um Although, you know, that is a very good feeling and I'm not knocking it at all. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I, I also think you have to choose your battles. Like, especially mm, if you're self-releasing or you work with a yes. smaller team, you cannot just shine everywhere. Uh, yeah, no. it's impossible. No, it's, it's yeah, there aren't, I, I'm constantly battling with this. There aren't enough hours in the day. I wish there were, yeah. but there just aren't. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, but it's nice in the same way. It's nice when, when, you you also start to notice that I think like occasionally artists can try and rush everything you know they want everything immediately they want that instant gratification of playlists and radio plays and press and and sometimes you have to remember that it might be slower than that you know it might be one DJ picks up on it and loves it or one blog loves you and always supports you um and then and then everything else will kind of people will go oh yeah i saw them in stereo fox or i heard them on bbc6 music and and then and then it and then yeah the the full picture comes together and um so so sadly i think the answer to your original question is that aim for all of them but be realistic and have a lot of patience which isn't an easy thing to have, I don't think. Yeah, I, I, I also guess uh, no, nobody has become like a star overnight. I mean, a anyone that you see like uh, just exploding, like just blowing up on, on like TSPs and social media, this has been a lot of work mm. beforehand and mm -hmm. a lot of connections Absolutely. that have happened just before this. Um, so I, I, would, I would imagine some, uh, some artists, especially up and coming, would feel a bit... Uh, bad that they're not becoming the next like super popular star especially especially in like in the more pop or r&b mm. or like hip-hop world where i think this is like one of the big trends at the moment mm -hmm. and it's very hard to uh, it's very hard to become visible and then you see someone just like becoming just crazy overnight yeah. Um, yeah 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 i absolutely agree i think you know, one of one of the things that I encourage all of my artists to do is like, you know, no, nothing's too small when you're starting out. Um, every thank every blog, every DJ, every streaming platform, you know, give them shout outs on social media, get in touch with them, thank them personally. <coughs> Sorry, because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, if you're thanking them all they'll continue to support you and they'll continue to um to to promote your music and it means that when you when you are reaching a level where like bigger platforms are noticing you've still got that grassroots support um i think particularly in the uk you know with like bbc introducing local bbc introducing stations do so much for the acts that they support um particularly the sort of regional stations like We've had some wonderful things from like the West Midlands and not BBC Radio Nottinghamshire and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, in some ways it's local radio. You feel a little bit silly, but it's not. It's it's proper people like it's people that properly want to see you do well, and want to support you. And um, like with anything, uh, I think, you know, those people that supported you when you were small, it's it's wonderful to have their support and to keep their support as you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I know a lot of, I know a lot of artists like 
blew up from like college radios, especially in the US. Mm. I don't know if yeah. it's oh the case God, with yeah. UK, but I feel like in the UK it's like BBC introducing or like even BBC six one etc. Uh, and then in the US there are a lot of college radios that mm. are actually becoming big. People like business people buy them to actually invest in them. I mean it's a cr- huge thing there. So you never know who. Uh, uh, which curator or which radio is going to become big uh, next year, for example. Absolutely, yeah. Like Radio 1 over here recently went through some presenter changes and one of their now like biggest presenters, um, the wonderful Shana Larry, was on BBC Radio Wales like two years ago, a year ago, um, covering for some people, doing a late night show. And, you know, it was when she got the slot on radio one we'd actually already she'd supported true thought stuff when she was doing her like smaller show on a on a different station and it was just suddenly like oh my god she's now the tastemaker that we want to get to support and um yeah it's it's that classic thing you know like in um i guess in any world in any sector that if you're if you're nice to everyone and you befriend everyone like of you know that you never not not don't do it just because you think people might be useful to you one day of course yeah but um but yeah you never know where people are going to end up um one of my favorite success success stories sounds weird but one of my favorite um like yeah success stories of the moment is there's a there's a uk artist called self-esteem who was previously in a band called slow club who i've been listening to since i was a teenager and um and she's always kind of been like like underground but had fans and then she released a song um 3 or 4 months ago and it just it just blew up like every station played it every you know it was on all the playlists it got she she's done all the press and it's and it's meant that her album campaign now is probably you know and i mean definitely she said it in interviews it's it's all so much bigger than she wanted it to be than she thought it would be rather but she's finally becoming like the pop star she always wanted to be. And seeing that as someone who supported her just as a fan from 10 years ago, um, it's just really nice to finally see, you know, that all that grassroots support suddenly leading to, you know, the bigger stuff. But it's not sudden at all. It's 10 years of groundwork, um, which I definitely think is always important for artists to remember when they're starting out. Yeah, and that's why we're here. Like, um, yeah, <laughs> especially like especially Sarah Fox has always been uh, like rooting and looking for more underground acts that talented people that like I I I I don't know if I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but Arlo Parks is like we were literally one of the first people who blogged about her, like with Cola, and and she was mm-hmm. like we were super mesmerized by her and like now she's like if, before the pandemic even she was she was uh doing uh tours with jordan Raquet and now she's like getting bigger and bigger i mean yeah. it's amazing and you never know who's gonna uh become yeah. the next big thing and i i think like for example with her it's like a lot of talent in in it and she's super interesting in terms of like lyricism and like the way she approaches poetry and music but um like it's not a lot of label work in it i think there's just a lot of potential and that's that's i mean super nice to see this uh like in the works i mean it's amazing i i think we have a great great opportunity both as like labels and blogs yeah absolutely and it's why it's why blogs like stereo fox i mean it goes without saying that true thoughts love stereo fox and oh thank you we love you too as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um but it's it's you know because like i think it again it comes back to that story thing it's like people don't necessarily want just an overnight viral success like as you say like arlo parks you were supporting her from the beginning and it all came together and then she's she just is getting bigger and bigger you know the sky's the limit um and and yeah it just means that it is nicer to watch and it's it it's uh, you know it's it you see the progression there and um and yeah it's just it's just nice it's nice to see talented people doing well at the end of the day it is um, yeah <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, uh, when I started listening to Georgia Smith, for example, I, I would never imagine that she would be like a no. pop star because she is like she's super big at the moment. And I'm really yeah. happy because 
yeah, I mean, it's worth it. Like Anderson Pack as well, <laughs> even yeah. uh, even when he was Breezy Lovejoy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know. Well, like Georgia Georgia Smith, I think is a great example. She some of her band, um, her her drummer and her bassist. Um, her drummer is. Um, Femi from Ezra Collective or was when she was touring with and did her tiny death session and her bassist Matali is in um, Kokoroko and plays with Joe Armand Jones and Nabaya Garcia and it's like so Georgia Smith's part of that South London jazz scene as it yeah. were in her roots but you've just yeah she's just exploded and I mean Nabaya Garcia is someone else as well where it's like her album last year just you know she's she's everywhere and it's it's just brilliant to watch because it's like, you know, real, like, um, yeah, just real, real talented musicians just getting that sort of commercial success that you only normally hear about rumored yeah. <laughs> on Spotify playlists. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's very nice to see actually uh, actual artists that, you know, yeah. they, they haven't been always popular, not just because. You know, in the pop culture and in like in the huge labels, you see uh, people who are, who have been designed in this way. Even if it mm -hmm. sounds a bit bad, like those are projects that need to um, like be popular, like make money, uh, like become popular in in terms of like music sticking in your head and listeners. And they're they're huge. Uh, I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's business. Uh, it's a music business after all. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's super nice to see uh, these artists uh, actually becoming big and getting the attention and and the money and the public they deserve, like the audience. It's amazing. Definitely, definitely. And I think that's also the. You know, it comes back to it, doesn't it? That idea that none of this happens overnight. You know, it is all. It's it's all like a journey and it all works towards something. But but seeing those artists um, reach those levels like should hopefully inspire new musicians to to go for it and um, yeah invest their time in it. I saw Little Sims live last night and she she closed the show by saying that she was just from like a London council estate and that if there was anyone in the crowd that wanted to to do it that had a dream that they wanted to do that they should just go for it and I think to some degree that that also plays a part in it you've just got to, you've got to go for it you've got to believe in yourself and invest in yourself sometimes but but I think also you know perseverance and being realistic and not worrying so much always about playing the game but but doing what's right for you um yeah is also important um Within the boundaries of like everything I said earlier about timelines and structures and stuff too. <laughs> you have to be artistic, but also organized, right? <laughs> yeah, that's why people like us exist. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're there to do the organizing for the yeah, artistic Yeah, exactly. People. So they can be artists, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is. It is. Like, this is their job to make music and like to, to create what they love. Absolutely. Um, one, yeah, I one Yes, yeah, sorry, sorry. Oh, just very quickly, I won't say who, but there is one of my artists who uh, is very artistic, who I have to remind them when it's their mum's birthday because they will forget otherwise. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's kind of adorable if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're in their mid-30s. They should know by now, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, one of the last things I wanted to uh, ask you, um, because we spoke about networking and we spoke about, like, uh, connecting with people and sending their music, um like quantity over quality or um, like how, how does it work uh, from your experience? Should you be conscious about sending relevant music to relevant people? Because uh, I've seen it can backfire, but what's your experience and what are, what are the advice, uh, what is the advice you can give to people? So if you're sending music to a label, to a playlist curator, radio, press, Whoever you're sending it to, make sure you're sending it to the right people. Um, you know, True Thoughts is an eclectic label, but whenever we get sent, like, heavy metal, I, d I don't know where they think they're sending it because it, it's not it's not what we put out. Um, and to, to us, that just shows someone who, who hasn't done their research. Um, I often go about uh kind of researching targets so there are some key targets that obviously you'll you'll have in the back of your mind and you'll send the music to but um i t 
tend to make a spreadsheet. Shockingly, it's in my nature <laughs> to go about things in this way. So I'll make a spreadsheet of, say, you know, a new, like, Slife Fab release or Hemi or whoever. I will start by looking at who supported them in the past um, and then listening to the music. What does it sound like? What recent releases have come out? Um, who supported those releases? If it's got featured artists on it, who supported the featured artists in the past? So then you kind of get this picture of blogs and radios and playlists um, where you can go, oh, I saw that you interviewed Nabaya Garcia, who's a saxophone player. Slife if Fav's a saxophone player. I think you'll like his album. And it's, it, 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 all, it can feel a little bit rigid, like that example sounded, <laughs> but... Um, but it also shows that you've you've spent the time to find the journalist that wrote the interview that you really enjoyed and you then want that journalist to interview your act. Um, so I think in terms of quantity over quality, I think if you've got the time to put the time in to find the right people to send it to, even if it's 10 people, but they're the 10 perfect people for that release... Um, you know, I had this conversation with someone the other day about like specialist ambient music, um, get it to the people who really are the tastemakers in that world. And then other people might reach out and you can go from there. Um, I think the other thing is like within that. So a lot of these people, it's not, it's like the worst kept secret in the music industry. It's really easy to find people's email addresses. If you, <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> it's like, you know, if you, it's, if you have the time to put in, um, or even if you're self-releasing, like, and you have a friend who is dedicated enough to help you with this, like, we've all online stalked people, um, friends or friends of friends or whatever, you know, people were out there on Twitter. I'm, I'm, I'm saying online stalk. Don't like, you know, I'm not suggesting any crossing any lines <laughs> yeah. to get, to get a review. Like if someone ignores your DM, like leave them to it, please. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think, I think, you know, within reason, um, seek out the people that you think will like it, make sure you've done your research and, um, and yeah, and and maybe in some cases focus on those people rather than downloading a database of names and sending it to everyone without any personalised information. Um, yeah, uh, like from the other perspective, like from a curator, uh, we, we do get a lot of emails and the ones that we can pay attention, like physically, the ones that stand out are the ones that have actually done their research or they're aiming at something in, in particular like artists we've supported before or someone that we have, um, someone that sounds like an artist we've supported before, as you mentioned. So yeah, uh, going the extra mile does does make mm. a difference. Definitely, yeah. And it can feel, and it can feel again, like a bit of a, like a release timeline. It's, it, it can feel like a bit of an organizational nightmare or a necessary evil, but you put that work in for one afternoon and and you're sorted then you've got your people you've got the people that you really want to hear your music and um and it's it's just a it's a really good starting point to have i think um particularly if you're kind of if you're self-releasing and you don't have a database of names to send it to you know obviously that's one of the plus sides to working with a label true thoughts has been going for 22 years now um there are a lot of we have a lot of contacts that we promo out to and also, you know, the, the True Thoughts name kind of carries to some degree. But um, we're also an eclectic label, so I can't just send people everything and say, you supported True Thoughts before. Yeah. You're like this release. <laughs> because mean, they might have supported some Neo Soul and I'm sending them grime. Like, that's not, that's not going to work. <laughs> obviously, yeah. Uh, I, I also think people uh, need to be conscious about and. Mm. Um, platforms, platforms like Submit Hub and uh, all the other that have emerged um, lately, um, they do they do help out with this. So um, and also like from a per, uh, from like from a blog that's and a creator that's on these platforms, now uh, we we encourage people to um, 
I mean, you you get you're paying you're paying for the creator's time. You're not paying for positioning, like you're not paying for coverage. So, I mean, sometimes you you, you can consider this because with the amount of music that uh, you've been putting, uh, uh, with the amount of music that's been going out uh, every day, I mean, it's very hard to cope up with everything. Like it's a lot of emails, a lot of DMs, and everything. But yeah, like sometimes sometimes I think it's you have a lot more to say and it can be a fruitful collaboration uh, with someone. Definitely. So you make, yeah, you make an exception, obviously, if it's someone that, yeah, it, it, it's worth it. Yeah, definitely. And I think like I can only imagine what Stereo Fox's submit hub looks like for the <laughs> amount of submissions that you must get every day. But it's, you know, even things like that, like we've then, like True Thoughts and Stereo Fox or or other blogs on submit hub like we've then made contacts and um you know connections through using that as a platform because it's like you like with anything you then start to notice if there are certain places that really like all your releases those are the people worth then reaching out to personally and um and kind of getting on board in a more personal way rather than just submitting exactly um yeah all right uh awesome uh if you want to uh wrap this up with a like a success story you have in mind so something something that really made made it worth the whole uh work in, in the music <laughs> industry in true thoughts and everything oh my god um i'm trying to think of my like favorite moments i i think there was definitely I've, I've, I'm basically, I'm, I'm sat here thinking about all the campaigns I've worked on in the last like four and a half years and I don't want to have to pick just one. But um, I think for me, there's been a few instances of everything coming together, like I, like I was talking about earlier. And I think one of my favourite ones, two of my favourite campaigns for that was Bryony Jarman Pinto's Cage and Avery and Sly Fifth Ave's What It Is. And those were just both instances of artists where, you know, for Bryony, there was a point where she, she got plays like across all the BBC stations um, and was like doing interviews with Jamie Cullum and stuff like that. And then with Sly and what it is, um, you know, I mentioned it earlier, it had such a good story. And we eventually got an interview with, he did an interview with Jam Supernova, who just like she's a fantastic dj and a fantastic interviewer and she got that whole story out of him and um and it was just really brilliant radio it was just like you could hear her enthusiasm and and his story just brought to life um so i mean those are two good ones oh but like i started all of this rambling with hot eight brass band but i think hot eight brass bands um you know if you know their story their leader benny pete sadly passed away a few weeks ago um and they've been through in the last 25 years you know hurricane katrina and new orleans is often the worst hit in the united states whatever happens um and hot eight brass band are a brand that bring about a lot of joy to a lot of people and shortly after benny was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago they released their version of um joy divisions love will tear us apart and promoing that I've never had a response like that. Like that was just, it was it was just pure joy from everyone who heard it. And they went on to do Jules Holland's Hoot and Annie um, on New Year's Eve. And then where they met George Ezra and then George Ezra's band got them to do the horn section on his Brit Awards performance. And then he took them on tour, um, on his European tour as, their, as his like opening act. And I'm, I played such a tiny part in that whole story. I, you know, I promoted the release and organised a few things, but that was absolutely one of my favourite journeys because, you know, seeing, seeing that success for them as well was just, um, yeah, it was just, it was really nice. It was beautiful. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow, sounds amazing. Uh, Martha, thank you very much. It, this has been very insightful and very nice to talk to you. Uh, if you'd like Thank to share you. where people can find you, follow you, uh, True Thoughts as well, uh, that would be lovely because, yeah, you've got a lot to share, uh, both as a label and as a person. 
I'm, I'm so sorry I talk so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is great. But, <laughs> but yeah, if you are, yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at MarthaJSC. Um, and I'm always happy to answer any questions or help with anything if I can. And you can find True Thoughts on true underscore thoughts, spelt T-R-U. Um, and we're also on truethoughts.co.uk. And Rob Louie, who is the A&R and founder of the label, also has an Unfold radio show up on Mixcloud, which you can check out um, if you want to kind of hear more of what the label has to offer. But yeah, thank you very much for having me today. And I'm thank so you. We'll... sorry I talk so much. No, that was <laughs> lovely. It's a great chat. Uh, we'll put all those links into our description. Thank you very much for all listeners. It has been a pleasure. Hope this was uh, useful for all of you. And yeah, hope to speak soon again. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you.